I'm Kelly Rose Lamb, and this is Bold. This show is for women who believe there is more than the script we've been handed. I interview women and hear their stories to uncover the common thread of boldness running through their lives. You will notice that some of my guests have mentioned the Enneagram. In short, the Enneagram is a personality test that has, according to the dictionary, nine points that represent a personality type and its psychological motivations. More to say here, but that's coming later. In my own life, the Enneagram has been an incredible tool to understand my fears, my motives, and my responses. This conversation features Vanessa, who is an Enneagram coach. She has helped me own who I am and discover more about how and why I respond to the world around me. In this conversation, we talk about navigating the messy middle, liberation, finding your voice, quite literally, and we absolutely reference and discuss Women Who Run With The Wolves, which is one of my favorite books. Vanessa Fernandez is the founder of the Enneagram Workshop. She is a triple certified Enneagram coach and somatic practitioner. Her areas of expertise lie in deep inner work with the aim of liberation from identities and patterns that limit us enjoying our full humanity. She runs coaching programs and retreats exploring the intersections of identity in relation to Enneagram work, as well as mentoring aspiring coaches. She provides high-level strategy work for corporations and leadership teams. Vanessa lives in Miami, Florida with her four children. You can find her work at www.theenneagramworkshop.com and on Instagram at The Enneagram Workshop. I'm glad you're here. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Vanessa, so good to have you here today. I am thrilled to be here. I am really excited to talk to you because your coaching through the Enneagram workshop actually changed my year. That's a really big statement. It really helped me come into more of who I am and how I showed up at work. So I would love to talk a little bit about the Enneagram. Can you define what that is for the listeners? Yeah. Uh, Enneagram is a personality typing system. It's a framework that helps us understand nine different personality types, basically speaks to nine different motivations. So everyone is operating from one of these dominant strategies. Each type is striving to feel a different way. And then because of that, they engage in different strategies to try and feel that way. And I use it in coaching. I use it in personal growth and development. And it's been a tool of liberation for myself and then for the clients that I work with as well. Amazing. How did you get into your work? What made you pursue this line of coaching? So I heard about the Enneagram from some bloggers several years ago, and then I was scrolling on Amazon for things I didn't need late at night, as we all do. And from the introduction, I had chills. I was like, this is way deeper than I thought it was going to be. And kind of just consumed this book and it transformed how I saw myself. It allowed me to recognize things that, you know, when there's things under the surface and you can feel them, but you can't name them. And as soon as you mm -hmm. name them, it's almost like your whole perspective on the world shifts because what was invisible is all of a sudden visible. And now you start seeing patterns and you mm -hmm. start realizing like, oh, this is why I've been doing this and showing up in this way. And that's what, what happened to me. I just got obsessed and wouldn't shut up about it with my friends. And 
I love a lot of my friends are entrepreneurs, so they invited me to come and speak with their teams and the business kind of just grew from there. Incredible work. What is it like working with entrepreneurs? I love it because I feel like entrepreneurship is basically personal development with a paycheck attached. Like if you're going to go, you're going to go into business for yourself. You're going to confront all of the limitations that you've maybe been able to hide in other spaces. You have to confront limiting beliefs, who you actually are, what you actually want. You're driving the whole operation. Mm. So anything that's unclear in your life is going to show up and need to get cleared. Otherwise you'll feel a bit stuck. I love working with entrepreneurs. Yeah. It's great. Sounds, it actually sounds so much fun. Yeah. You have talked before about your work around liberation. What does liberation mean for you? Liberation to me is more and more fully stepping into what it is to be fully human, Hmm. which to me doesn't mean leaving anything behind, but including more of who we are. And Mm. I think a lot of times what keeps us stuck is we're trying to avoid parts of our humanity. We're trying to avoid any parts that feel sticky or, or ugly or dark. And liberation for me has come through turning and facing the very things that I've been trying to avoid and including those with more compassion. So Liberation feels less of being free from things and more about including more of myself and my humanity. I would have said free from, but you're Mm -hmm. saying I turning to, toward those parts of you. What has that looked like in your life? It's very uncomfortable. It's Mm. very uncomfortable because I think the bravest thing that we can do is to be with who we are in truth actually get honest about all of the parts of me. Um, My Enneagram type, the sort of sticking point is deceit. Hmm. And that's really uncomfortable to tell people like, yeah, my type, we're we're liars, we're deceitful. That's not really what my type embodies, but it's a self-deception that doesn't want to see any of those dark parts, any of those ugly parts, any of the parts that don't conform to who I feel like I have to be or what success looks like. And so liberation work for me has been, can I be honest about who I really am? Can I love those parts Mm -hmm. that I fragment off from or despise? And yeah, it's it's uncomfortable. It's taken a lot of, oh, we've talked about somatic work. It's taken a lot of nervous system regulation to stay Mm -hmm. present to those parts that I don't always love to be with. It's a phenomenal set of questions you're asking. And one of, one of the things that I have a lot of curiosity around is in what context in your own life, do you find the capacity or maybe the courage to actually ask those? And then the weird question is what do you hear back? Mm -hmm. Well, it starts where the most pain lies for me. So I start to ask those questions where I'm feeling friction in my life. Usually, um, when I first started on this journey, that was around some religious beliefs that was around some dissonance between what I was taught and what I was seeing embodied in some of the communities that I had grown up in. 
And where that friction was is where I started sort of peeling at, you know, mm-hmm. when you have like a sticker or some paint that's chipped and you start peeling away at it. And then of course, you know, you start ripping entire sheets off and then you're like, how did I get here? But mm-hmm. um, for me, it started in those areas where there was friction. And as I was looking at where things were bothering me and not an alignment in my environment, I had to then start looking at myself and say, are there misalignments within myself as well? Um, I, I believe that a lot of life is mirrored, mirrors mm-hmm. back to us. And so, um, yeah, that's where it started. Um, what was the second part of your question? Yeah, when you take the time to actually ask yourself those hard questions, one, I think a lot of people don't necessarily go toward those friction points and mm-hmm. start scratching. I think there's... Mm-hmm a lot of avoidance. So maybe rather than the second question, what what gives you the ability to actually scratch? I don't know. I think I'm just someone who's like a pain in the ass in general in my personality. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> when when things don't when things don't sit right with me, it like I like I'm yeah. drawn to it. And I know most people maybe are not. Um but I'm drawn to it because it bothers me and mm. I want to find what's true. And I, I don't know where that came from. Maybe the very upbringing that I have dismantled mm-hmm. also gives me some parts that are good that want to find that truth. Um, I think the courage for me comes when I actually uncover and then I have to decide now that I know there's a misalignment here, do I cover it back up and put my head in the sand and continue on? Mm-hmm. Because acknowledging misalignments typically costs us something. Well, it always costs us something because any expansion or liberation or evolution requires us to have the old die away. You can't have both the new and the old. And so, uh, yeah, that's that. That's the point that requires the most courage for me is, okay, now that I know that this no longer fits, how do I step into the new? And for a while, I've tried to step into the new without losing any of the old. Like, mm. I can both. I can hold on to this and move into that. And uh, the tension just becomes so great that you start to realize, no, there's no way that I can hold on to the old and move into the new Hmm. And the courage there is less about courage and it's almost more just about, I have no other choice. Right. I have to evolve. Um, I have four children and I was, I had natural childbirths with all of them and they, you know, they're very painful. They're very, they're traumatic in their own hmm. way. Um, hmm. And I would always, especially after the first one happened and I was like, oh shit, like this is real. Uh, everyone after that, I would be like, man, I don't want to give birth. I don't want to give birth. I don't want to give birth until I got so uncomfortable that I was like, I am still ready to give birth. Mm-hmm. However bad it feels like, let's just do this because I've reached a point where I can't hold it anymore. Wow. And that's kind of how it felt. It was less about courage and more about, I can't hold on to this old anymore. It just doesn't mm-hmm. work. And yes, I know there will be pain in the, the new life emerging, but bring it on. Like we're here. Mm-hmm. Let's go. I just feel uncomfortable even saying that I was courageous, like that there was courage involved because it felt mm-hmm. more like 
necessity than courage, if that makes sense. It, like, yeah, I feel like I, people look at me and say, oh, like, there's been things in my life that I've stepped out of. And everyone's like, how did you do that? That's so courageous. And I just feel like, how could I not? I couldn't stay there any longer. It would, I don't know. I don't I feel guess, very courageous. I guess where it's courage and I hear you and, and you get to have your lived experience. I feel like there is a reality and I face this in my own life where and I, I haven't given birth. And so I don't know. I, I don't have the same experience of like, this has to, I have to go through this. I think yeah. people can choose not to. Like, I think you can mm-hmm. go into like severe denial mode about sure. change that has to happen. And so you have yeah. actively chosen to evolve and go through a very, a very difficult process. I think where people say you're so courageous is there's still a, a choice in there. That's my mm-hmm. observation. But maybe mm-hmm. you would say, no, <laughs> I had no choice. And then you go, okay, then I'll take back the courage. But I, from the outside, it seems courageous. Well, yeah, I hear you. And I think, I think if anything, the courage would maybe lie in the fact that I allowed myself to remain awake and present, hmm. especially to my body and my heart. Hmm. And I think that staying open to what the body is feeling and what the heart is saying is what led me to that point of, I am 100% certain that I can no longer stay here. Hmm. Liberation, new birth, new expansion is my only way forward. That, that knowing came up. And Hmm. so certainly it's possible to block that off and not allow those feelings to come up. In fact, a lot of the work that I do with Enneagram is looking at how we block off parts of ourselves and Mm. our parts of our knowing and our intuition. And when I start working with people, um, they're like nervous to feel their feelings. They're nervous to be present to everything that's bubbling under the surface. And I kind of say like for good reason, because once you become conscious of that, your life may change quite drastically. You may Mm -hmm. begin to not be able to tolerate certain environments that you could previously because now you're no longer silencing what's going on in your body and what's going on in your heart. So probably that would be maybe where the courage would lie is just the courage to be present to yeah. what's what's true for yeah. me in my body and in my heart. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Vanessa, I would love if you could talk about the kind of messy middle. Like you, you notice there is something that needs to be scratched away and then... And then I feel like you have experienced what the kind of other side looks like. But can you talk about your experience, what you had to go through in that friction point? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'll tell a little bit of my story and then I can talk about what that looked like. That'd be amazing. um, I grew up very religious, um, pastor's daughter, and, and actually loved it, like loved being a part of a community, loved being uh, the example, I loved mm-hmm. hated, you know, being the example, um, took that burden on very seriously, and then got married very, very young, and just started popping out babies and doing all the things that I was supposed to do. And when I started chipping away There was always a part of me that had these questions of, but this doesn't really make sense. But how do we love people 
and yet we're shaming them into mm. obedience. Like where, you know, there are these little moments. And even with my children, um, I was raised with like thinking and corporal punishment and like things like that. I tried to do that with my children. And I, I remember I, I tried to spank my oldest and I fell to the floor of the bathroom and just started sobbing and shaking because I couldn't physically inflict pain, even though I was like, well, raise your child in the ways that they should go. And you should, you know, I had all this teaching that this is what a good mother would do. And yet again, my body and my heart Hmm. were like, I can't do this. There's a dissonance here. It's not, I'm being told one thing, but these actions feel so different. This doesn't feel like love. And that was sort of what started me spiraling and questioning and wondering, okay, if physical abuse of children can be labeled as love. Is there other abuse that we're labeling as love within this Mm. context? And I just haven't seen it yet. And so that was the paint that I was chipping away at. And it all kind of started coming down. And in the process of that, um, ended up ending my marriage and sort of completely leaving any kind of religious, um, adherence at this point. And so the messy middle for me was a lot of, if I confront and, and acknowledge the dissonance that I feel, it will cost me connection to the only community that I've ever known and was raised in Hmm. my family and my spouse, literally my entire emotional, physical support structure and framework. And so that was the messy middle was, is it worth it? Mm. Is it worth it for me to continue to listen to my heart and my body continue to question and continue to acknowledge what was authentic for me, even if it costs me everything. And to be honest, a lot of scriptures that were most precious to me almost supported my decision where it talks about leaving father and mother and where it talks about the choice to follow Mm. love can cost you almost everything and invites you to die to everything that you were and everything that you know. And there was just this hope that if I do that, maybe I live afterwards. And that's, so yeah, the messy middle was just, I'm going to die if I do this but I don't know that I can't do it because Mm -hmm. I can no longer live with the dissonance. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. It was just a lot of little death. It was just a lot of little death. Some of them were very like physically violent. Even I remember this one, this one time I I needed to have a conversation with my parents who I love dearly, but I knew the conversation was going to shatter who they saw me as, Hmm. but I could no longer continue to show up with a facade And I was in my room, I was doing some somatic work, moving my body. And like I started almost like dry heaving, like there were, there were things coming up. Um, I started coughing, I was crying and it was my body sort of releasing this good girl image, perfect daughter, this uphold to family honor. All of that was really somatically stuck in my body and I had to move it through. And then I was able to show up to the conversation and it was hard, but 
it was true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. How did the people in your life respond? I think everyone was very shocked because I had played the part so well for so long and they felt very betrayed. That was hard. Yeah. That was hard. I had betrayed myself for so long to stay loyal to my family and my upbringing that then when I exposed myself or started bringing up these things that I wasn't in alignment with, they felt betrayed. They felt that I had revealed like a whole different person, a whole different mm. persona. And it was disorienting because I felt the same way. I felt also disoriented by right. my own shifts. I think part of it felt like I had lost old skin and had put on had emerged with new skin. And that new mm. skin was unfamiliar even to me. Like it felt true. It felt authentic. It felt more me than I ever had been before, but I was still mm. getting to know her. I was still getting to know who this person was. And it was beautiful, but it was, yeah, the reaction from my family, from my ex, obviously, that they couldn't be with me in the same way that they had before because of it. Thank you for talking about the messy middle. It's an act of vulnerability and I appreciate it. And I have yeah. many questions about your experience. Can I, can I ask some of them? Go for it. Yeah. When you, you, I love the analogy of new skin. It reminds me of the book, Women Who Run With The Wolves. Have you read it? I have. Yeah. It's an yeah. incredible book, but did you try on multiple skins or were you like, this is my, I know my new skin and I know I just need to put it on. Or was there multiple variations of new skin? Mm -hmm. You know, when I was Trying to be what everyone else wanted me to be, it felt like I was constantly putting on new hmm. masks or outfits or costumes. My new skin, as my authentic self started to emerge, it wasn't like I was trying on different skins, but it's almost been like I'm expanding and finding my edges. So I'm pushing into new things, not sure either where I land on them or what I believe about them or how I want to express them in my life. But it doesn't feel like I'm trying anything on. It just feels like I'm pressing into and exploring the true landscape that's always been here. So mm. it feels still very much inauthenticity, but also it's an exploration. Not one that has me putting things on and taking them off, but just what if what's over here? And what if I press out there and, oh, okay, that's my edge. I don't want to go any further, but maybe later I will. And it's, so it's very exploratory, mm -hmm. but it feels very different than trying things on. That yeah. felt like an old, an old way of being. That makes yeah. so much sense. And then in the messy middle, I think it's so interesting to hear about the family system and the shock you cause people, but you were also in a religious system. Um, and I would make assumptions based on the things you said that there was a, there would be certain rules or stereotypes for how women have to to behave. What were some of the messy middle components of moving away from and into this new skin of who you are? Oh my gosh, I could talk about this all day because Unleashed. I feel like <laughs> so. All right, here we go. Yeah, <laughs> like so much of. 
so this is from women who run with the wolves, but there's some part of, of womanhood that we have this, like this knowing, like she mm. knows. Absolutely. We have this intuition. We have this sensitivity and attunement to the pain in the world, the anger in the world, the softness, the love. There's so much in women that when we are in our bodies and we are connected to the, the cycles of seasons and our own, like just, we just know things. And so a lot of the, what religion cut me off from was my body. Your body is evil. It's tempting men. It's not to be trusted. It cut me off from my sexuality. Mm -hmm. It cut me off from my voice. There were people I couldn't teach. There were people I couldn't speak to. There were things I couldn't say. And so when I started reconnecting to my feminine, I don't even want to say femininity because that was a word that was kind of a triggering word. But when I, when I really sunk into my embodied womanness, all the parts that religion had said were dangerous and I shouldn't go there, I knew. Like all the knowing was there. And so a lot of my liberation from structures that were not serving me has to do directly with being more embodied in my divine feminine space. Like the way that women gossip and talk and share stories and make connections and have this emotional intelligence when the voices change, when the facial expressions change. Like as women, we know things and we're so often told, well, don't be judgmental. Don't gossip. Don't, don't draw conclusions. And I'm not saying that we can't, you know, make judgments that are unhelpful, but there's something about the way that women connect and read into the world and things that is powerful. We know things and we've been mm -hmm. told for so long to sit down and be quiet and listen to someone else, mostly a man, to tell us what is right and wrong and good and bad. And so, yeah, definitely there was a lot to break free from, but the more I broke free, the more embodied confident, powerful that I could feel myself becoming. And I was like, oh, it all makes sense now why these things were forbidden. <laughs> and what does it feel like to have it's found your voice? Oh my gosh. So I'll start with like the somatic practices that I had to go through to really find my voice. I would even say my vocal tone has changed. Like Okay. My voice is deeper. My voice is stronger. If you were to hear audio clips of me from back before I was truly embodied and liberated, there would literally be a difference in my voice, the tone wow. of it. And I can hear it in women when I coach them as well, that there's a change. Um, I wasn't really breathing even deep into my belly. When I first started doing somatic work, I couldn't even feel my belly. And our belly is what holds our hunger. That's another thing. Don't be too hungry. Don't be too thick. Don't eat too much. You know, stay frail, stay small, stay skinny. So I connected to my belly. Mm. I connected to my anger, to my hunger, to my desire, to my sexuality, all of that. And like, it supported my voice in a way that I had never felt before. Um, but I had to do a lot of somatic work to even activate my vocal cords. Wow. Um, I would do a lot of like wailing 
So a lot of times women in indigenous cultures, they have these whales that come almost like from the ground up through their bodies and move through their vocal cords. And it's a way of sounding out the pain, unity, sounding out the anger mm. of the community, calling the men to action through their voices and they're strong and they're powerful and they're full of emotion. And so I did a lot of wailing. I did a lot of screaming. I I'm let some anger out through my screaming. And when I first started, I couldn't. Like I, like I was working with my, my somatic coach. She was like, I want you to just really scream. And, and you're like, like let what? out all this anger. And I was just like, okay, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I can. <laughs> yeah. And I was shocked to find how much of my voice I had lost. So even when I had cognitively left some of those structures, they still lived in my body and I couldn't, I was like, like, I can't scream. And she was like, okay, that's fine. How about you start with a hum? And we started with humming and feeling my vocal cords moving. And then it was, you know, these like little ha, ha. And then finally a scream and then finally a roar and then finally wailing. And it took time for my voice literally physically to come back to me. And that was really powerful. And I think it allowed me then to say more things that were true. Cause I don't know if this happened to you, but sometimes I'd go into conversations where I was like, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say <laughs> that I'm going to be so big and bad. And then I get there and I'm like, no, but like, it's okay if you don't want to, like, it's fine and I'm okay. Like, and all of that bravado that I was like, I'm going to say it, like, I, I actually couldn't. And it mm -hmm. wasn't that I didn't want to, and it wasn't that I didn't know what I wanted to say. I just, it wasn't, I didn't have the power for it yet. A lot of the messy middle is actually realizing how long healing takes too. I wish I could have just jumped from like, oh, I got it. I don't want to be in this structure anymore. And then boom, mm -hmm. I can say everything I want to say. It took me like, years to slowly liberate and find my voice literally and figuratively. I so appreciate that dialogue because I feel like there's a lot of thinking around just use your voice, just find your voice, just start talking. And actually it is not that simple. I've never heard anybody talk about finding their actual vocal cords to that degree because we don't really talk about the process in my opinion. What were some of the words of truth you spoke when you found your voice? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest ones for me was no. Okay. So there were, there were a few sessions where I literally would, like had to go back into like toddler space and ball up my fists and just be like, no, and, and let myself say no, because for most of my life, I had been conditioned to say yes when I wanted to say no. And so for me to actually say, no, I don't like this. I don't want this. Uh, this doesn't work for me. I don't agree with this was one of the biggest truths that, that I had to work through. And uh, what, else, what else came out? This is abuse. Hmm. And that ruffled a lot of feathers. That's probably what was most harmful to people in my life who loved me and who I loved, but to say, I do believe that it's important to call things what they are. Absolutely. It was important to me to say, this is abuse. 
the last one that I that comes to mind is uh, there was a lot of and I kind of talked about the things that were called love, but they actually were abuse, right? Mm. So it was abusive, but it was told to you. So when I was spanked as a child, I was um, made to say after being hit, thank you for this discipline. Mm. I deserved it. I was, I was made to verbalize that to the person who just hit me. And so I had equated abuse with love. Like if someone treats you this way, that's because they love you. And so one of the things that I had to say to someone, they were treating me badly and they said, but I love, it's because I love you. And I had to stop them and say, this is not love. I, I, I reject the narrative that you, you treating me this way is love. And please don't say that to me anymore. And that was a big moment for me. Like I said, even now I can feel it in my body. I felt in my body, this like, disconnection they had always been linked and when i said this is not love please stop calling it that it's like they separated the first time and i was i was able to realize love is not that and that was a big part of the liberation for me my desire is to leave the conversation with a conclusion like and now life is beautiful but actually what i've loved and and we can go there if you want and i know your life is beautiful but What I've loved is how you've articulated the scratching and the friction and the messy middle. I would love to actually ask if you could talk about the Enneagram and the messy middle from maybe the different triads and how people and specifically you've seen women respond to when they're in process, what is actually happening to themselves based on who they are. So let me see if I understand the question. The way I'm thinking of it is, When we're in the messy middle, there's a couple of things to consider. First, our window of tolerance. So I think one of the reasons why healing does take a while is because our window of tolerance of how much discomfort we can take is small at the beginning. And our our minds can process things much more quickly than our hearts and our bodies. And so it's easy to either, I guess I'll start with the head triad. So for those who are in the head triad and the Enneagram, those are types seven, five, and six. We have the head, the heart, and the body as three triads, three centers of intelligence. And for those who are in the head triad, it's easy to think that if I have cognitively understood my liberation or understood how I was stuck, or I can figure it out, And a lot of times these people do a lot of talk therapy and they've got a lot of good insights or you've watched a lot of Instagram posts that have really great (laughs) tips and things. And those are all great. We do need to be able to cognitively understand what's happening and liberate ourselves mentally. But if we stop there, usually we stop there because our bodies and hearts don't have the capacity Hmm. to hold the discomfort of our expansion. And that capacity takes time to build up. I like to work out a lot. I know you like to work out a lot. Oh yeah. You know, you can't, you can't skip from lifting, you know, 10 pound dumbbell curls to 50 pound dumbbell curls in one day. You have to build up the capacity over time because it's something that you're expanding, you're tearing, you're rebuilding. It takes proper Mm -hmm. nutrition, recovery, et cetera. 
And it's the same with our, um, our emotional capacity to hold. So I would say if you're in the head triad, the invitation is, can you drop down and slow down and realize that even though you may be able to mentally process what's going on, the frustration you feel that you're not really making progress is because you're avoiding being in the slow expansion of how much discomfort can I hold and how long can I stay in that discomfort? It's literally exactly the same as working out. Like I can say, I'm going to work out hard for three days, but then my muscles are sore and I don't want to go back to the gym for two weeks. Right. So it's about having that window of tolerance slowly expanding over time so that I can actually begin to liberate myself in a holistic way, head, body, and heart. So that would be the head triad. With the heart triad in the messy middle, it's similar, but heart triad is very conscious of how do I appear to others? Okay, interesting. So a lot of times the heart triad, which are types twos, threes, and fours, um, get frustrated because we want to appear that we are more healed or whole than we actually are. And the heart triad is also terrified of actually letting our hearts break and feel as much pain as we actually do. Mm. So a lot of times when I do somatic work with the heart triad, we're, I'll ask them to sink into their bodies and the one area where they really don't feel much is their heart, which is ironic because that's where they live is that connection to others. But it's almost like because this is my primary spot, I guard it. I don't want to actually feel that it's broken. Hmm. I want to actually feel that it's, there was one point where I was going into my heart space and I was like, I feel like it's broken. And then I stopped and I was like, no, it's not broken. It's shattered. It's like dust. There's not even shards. There's not even pieces. It's completely dust. And that was terrifying. It's almost like I've lost my heart. Mm. That's my dominant place of connection. What do I do now? Um, so for the heart triad, what I would encourage is don't avoid the truth of how broken your heart may be. Mm. Because again, as we were talking about like liberation being including all the parts. Yeah. Until we recognize what is true, then there's no way to begin to see, okay, now that my heart is shattered, now what happens? And for me, when that happened, I was just, I do this thing called inquiry where I just kind of inquire into what is going on in my body and I follow it and I just see where it leads. Sounds a bit vague, but it, there is a, no, it a method to it. And, and so I kind of sat, like I could just see myself sitting in the dust of my shattered mm. heart. I was wow. just like sitting in the dust. There's nothing but dust. And I was like a little girl and I just started rubbing the dust all over me. Like I was like, almost like a kid playing in a sandbox or playing in a, a mud pile. And as I did that, the dust just like soaked into my skin and reformed this like baby new fresh heart within me. And I, it's just what happened. And it was this beautiful space of unless I had acknowledged and sat in and I do a lot of work with my clients where I'm, I'm like, why don't you just sit next to your grief? Like you're on a bench, you're sitting side by side. You don't have to talk to your grief. You don't have to do anything with them. Just sit right next to them. Mm -hmm. And they'll be like, okay, we'll try it. And next thing I know, I'll ask them, all right, how is it sitting next to your grief? And they're like, my grief just reached out and held my hand. 
or my grief just laid their head on my shoulder, or I just climbed into the lap of grief and let grief hold me. And you, you just see how like, as soon as we go into those places that we're terrified of, there's actually so much truth there and so much healing potential there because we're no longer running from it. Oh, I'm so afraid. What if I go in and I never come out? Okay, but just sit next to it. What, what would happen? Almost every single time, there is this wholeness that comes from turning toward those parts that hmm. we typically turn away from. So for the heart, that's the messy middle is let your heart break. Let it be as broken as it wants to be. Um, and then finally for the body, which is, I know where your type lies, nines, eights, and ones are in the body triad. Um, body triad wants to do, they want to go, they want to take action. Yeah. And sometimes that action is like, I don't want to be here anymore. I just want to move on. I just want to move through. I just mm -hmm. want to move out. And so the invitation is, okay, but when you're actually in your body, are you ready for that? Hmm. Are you ready for the movement, for the next step, for that we all want to be like strong and go and let's move through. Um, but sometimes our bodies are saying, wait, I can't scream just yet. Can we just hum for a bit? Wait, I can't wail just yet. Can we just do a bit of, can you baby step me? Can you build that strength incrementally over time? There's also that piece of expanding that window of tolerance of discomfort. Can I sit in the discomfort of knowing that I'm not quite healed yet, that I'm not quite there yet and be okay with that and let myself love myself into that next step rather than push myself because I want to go and I want to do and I want to move. Um, so that's kind of the three triads, what I would, I guess, advice that I would give as yeah. you're moving through the messy middle to just support yourself a lot of it comes down to support what support yeah. do I need right now rather than how do I get to the next step of my healing or the next step of my liberation mm -hmm. thank you for going there honestly I, I could talk to you for the next three hours on tell me more about the messy middle because there's this moment of feeling seen I've been there in a different context for a different mm -hmm. reason but have navigated this friction point, messy middle. And we rarely get together as groups of women and be like, okay, I'm going to tell you all the details about the the stage yeah. in between. So yeah. thank you. But I do want to talk about liberation and not to <laughs> make everybody feel like this is Hollywood and there's a perfect end to the story. But I do feel like you have really embraced liberation. Can you talk about the outcome? Outcome is such the wrong word. What word is it? What is the result of all of the hard work you've put in? Yeah, maybe the impact. So one other thing I'll say in terms of liberation, especially with women, um, as women, we have been told that we are fragile and that we're weak and that we need a hero to come and save us. We need a prince yeah. charming. We need whatever. Um, and we also have this like nurturing spirit. And so... A lot of times we can either want someone to like rescue us or we want to rescue someone else. And one of the things I've appreciated the most as I've been in my messy middle is my, my own somatic teacher and my friends as well 
have never rescued me. They have never said, oh, Vanessa, you poor baby, come here. I'll take care of you. I'll do this for you. I'll do that for you. And there were times where I wanted them to. There were times where I was just like, I just want someone to come and take care of me. And, yeah. and they never have. But what they've done is they have stood with me in the deepest, darkest part. And it's almost like they took my chin and they were like, you can fucking do this. I'm not going to rescue you, but I am going to remind you who you are. And just like women who run with wolves, like no yeah. one's coming to save you. But I stand with you and I affirm your capacity to save yourself. And it's hard on both sides. It's hard to not, when you have a friend who's going through a hard time or you have someone that you're working with, or even as a coach, like it's hard Absolutely. to not want to rescue and be like, oh, I'll save you. I'll take yeah. all the pain away from you. Or when we can't just run away, well, there's nothing I can do for this person. And it's uncomfortable for me to bear witness to their pain when there's nothing I can do. So I'm just going to kind of peace yeah. out and leave. Totally. And yeah. And I think the, the hardest thing, but the most helpful thing we can do for each other as women is to say, I see you, I celebrate you as you walk through the fire. I'm not going to rescue you and you don't need anyone to rescue you. It doesn't mean well we said. don't need community support, but there's just, I don't love women empowerment that almost still has flavors of patriarchy and that really definitely still sprinkled yeah. in it um and so that's been really i am forever grateful for those women in my life who basically were like you don't need you're not a victim and yeah, you can do this you and i won't turn away but you can do this it was so empowering it's almost like you can like see the fire in other women Oh, yeah. And you hold your own fire. And I think it also lets us have boundaries, too, as women, where I can still be fiercely compassionate towards someone, and yet I'm not required to save them, and I'm still mm -hmm. loving them, and I'm still in their corner. I think a lot of times we equate being in someone's corner with rescuing them. Definitely. And then we're all kind of with no boundaries trying to fix everyone else. And it's like, no, 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 I don't know if that's it. Anyways, um, where I am now in liberation, whew, I might get emotional talking about it um, because I used to think that liberation and healing, I was so obsessed with being healed for a while. Like, oh, I just got, I need to heal myself. And it was me wanting to not be human. Like, I want to heal myself. I remember telling my somatic uh, teacher, I like, I just want to be so healed that like nothing bothers me. Like just <laughs> anyone could say anything to me and I would just be like, I'm, I'm fine. fine. Nothing bothers me. Yeah. And she kind of looked at me and she was like, oh, so you, you don't want to be human because humans are impacted and bothered Definitely. sometimes. And I was like, oh, well, then if that's not what I'm trying to be, then what am I trying to be? And we started talking about how being alive means we inhale, we exhale, we wake up, we go to sleep, we cry and we laugh. 
And what if what I'm really wanting is to be impacted, hold myself through the impact, restore, go back out there, move through life in a way that is not rigid of like, nobody's going to get into me, Mm -hmm. move through life in a way of people may get into me. People may bump into me. There may be friction and pain, but I have the capacity to hold it all yeah, and move through it in a way that is compassionate to me and compassionate to others. And so my liberation now, it's like, if I have right now, I'm going through a situation where there's a dear friend of mine and we're both really mad at each other. And in the past, that would have sent me spiraling. Oh my gosh, what does she think of me? She might And now it's like, yeah, that's part of being human. We're going to misunderstand each other. There's going to be friction. We can rupture and repair. And not that I'm like, oh, I don't care. Because like, I care. But it's a liberation from everything being catastrophic. And it's an acceptance of part of my life involves the highs and the lows. So in one sense, I'm like, bothered but unbothered that I'm bothered if that makes sense like it's perfect like, sense yeah I'm bothered but I accept that that's part of me being human so I'm not spiraling and uh it all belongs that's a phrase that I I, I like to come back to a lot it's, I love it it all belongs that's my liberation it all belongs such a beautiful yeah. take thank you for thank you for sharing that and for letting us witness your liberation. Vanessa, my last question for you, what is your opinion of boldness? What does it mean to be bold? When I think of bold, I think of full color, saturate all the way up. Um, Whatever is here in my essence, fully expressed, Which doesn't mean in your face, uh, which doesn't mean I am turning up the volume so loud. We've talked about this, turning up the volume so loud that I, you know, push people away because I just want to be big and bold and bad. I think that was my definition at one point, but it's just letting the full essence of who I am come through in full color because it's true, Hmm. because it's who I am rather than how is this impacting someone and is this too much and what about them and what about how they perceive me? This is my true nature and letting it be there, letting it come through. That's what bold is to me. I love it. It's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Vanessa, if people want to follow along, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me, gosh, uh, if you want to be found. <laughs> yeah, I was like, who would want to find me? Uh, on Instagram, <laughs> at the Enneagram Workshop, you could find me. Uh, but I, I actually post more of this reflective kind of content on my personal Instagram also, which is at Van underscore Fernand. Vanessa, thank you <laughs> yeah. for your time. More than that, thank you for your wisdom and for talking to us about what it feels like to travel through the messy middle, be okay with it. So thank you. Shelly, this is such a, such a treat to get to talk about more personal things. Thanks for making it space oh, to do my that. Pleasure. I, 
I love it. My pleasure. Great. Thanks so much, Vanessa. Well, that was an amazing conversation. I think it's so important to be able to discuss the messy middle. We're inundated with memoirs, with all of these hero stories of what it looks like to have gotten to the end state where everything is reconciled, where it all makes sense, where the messy middle is explained. But what I appreciated about the conversation with Vanessa is that she took the time to explain what was really going on in the process of change, of leaving the old and moving to the new, of finding her voice, of liberation. Some things in this conversation stood out to me and I wanted to talk about them. The first one is liberation, actually, and it's a really interesting topic. I think a lot of us think of liberation as turning away from. And in, Vanessa says, liberation for me has come through turning and facing the very things that I've been trying to avoid and including those with more compassion. What's interesting is there, there isn't necessarily this language around turning from to be liberated, but actually turning to and embracing. And I'm on my own journey of radical acceptance of what is. There's a freedom in that. There's a liberation in that. And I really think that finding that compassion for yourself and not being afraid of those things is actually so liberating. So just really wanted to pull out that topic of liberation. Vanessa and I also talked about women who run with the wolves. Uh, Vanessa talked about new skin. It's one of my favorite chapters from the book. For those of you who haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It is a powerful book that helps women encounter their wild side. Not wild in a scary way, but wild in a real way. It helps women embrace their intuition. The author explains these concepts through story. It's honestly a powerful read. I think it's a quite challenging read. So I would say gather five of your friends and start a book club. Um, just do it. And Nike, please don't sue me for saying that. We can say just do it. So just do it. Go read it. Here's a little teaser. Clarissa Estes says, the doors to the world of the wild are few but precious. If you have a deep scar, that is a door. If you have an old, old story, that is a door. If you love the sky and the water so much, you almost cannot bear it, that is a door. If you yearn for a deeper life, a full life, a sane life, that is a door. What I love about that quote, and also I will probably get in trouble for quoting it, but I'm doing it. I feel like this really explains what Vanessa was talking about, about the itch and the friction point and the tension. And actually that is a door to the wild side, a door to intuition and a door, in my opinion, to liberation. So if you feel that need to like itch at something in your being, go for it. Just do it. The last thing I'll say is how much I appreciated Vanessa's take on standing beside our people. She said, I'm not going to rescue you, but I am going to remind you who you are. And just like women who run with the wolves, no one's coming to save you. But I stand with you and I affirm your capacity to save yourself. And I will say, I think we have a very hyper independent culture and individualism I don't think is great. Vanessa even said this, like community is super important. And I would agree, but rescuing them short circuits, the messy middle, the becoming the door to the world of the wild. I think it actually takes immense courage to not rescue and fix, but instead to encourage and empower. Go read Women Who Aren't the Wolves. I'll see you here next time. 
This podcast is produced in part by Pam Cameron. A massive thank you to all those who have supported me along the way. 